This true first-person story was recorded in front of a live audience at the Fringe Club as part of a special show for the 2016 Hong Kong International Literary Festival. Our storytellers are regular people, just like you, who decided to give storytelling a try. When we asked Austin why he joined storytelling, he told us, because no one would listen to my complaints without amplification. If you want to learn how to tell your best story, sign up on our Hong Kong Stories Meetup page, follow us on Facebook, or go to hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. Now, here's Austin. About uh, eight years ago, I was making a transition with my family from the United States to come to Hong Kong. And I had, I had lived in other Asian cities before. I had lived in other Asian countries before on a couple other tours of duty. So I thought, this, I don't think that will be a problem. So it really caught me off guard when I found this quite a serious problem. I didn't know the simplest things that were giving me trouble. It was, uh, not the, it was not the big things. It was not culture. It was not language. It was not uh, the food. It was these intangibles, imperceptible things. If I wrote a research paper on it, I'd probably call it the negotiation of personal space in the public realm. <laughs> but, but that doesn't explain very much, so probably I should just give you a couple examples. I lived in Causeway Bay, and I had to go to work in Central. That's three stops. That should be very easy. But again, no, it was not easy. I could not get on the train, and I, I didn't know why. It was defying any kind of logic. So the, get in there in the morning. The train would come, pulls in, doors open. There's a wall of faces looking back the other way. Twelve people come out. And then, according to normal commuter logic, there should be 12 people who get on. But then I, I couldn't get on. So people in front of me were getting on. People behind me were getting impatient. They'd zip around and they'd get on. And I'd just be left doing this thing that looked like a non-interactive uh, uh, game of charades to a captive audience who I had there for a few seconds trying to indicate that I'd like to get through. And I, I can see space back there. I can see there's space, but I just can't get to it. And then pretty soon... And that's so, it's such a condescending sound that you just know that someone in the MTR, they designed it purposely to make that. And so that I would wait there two or three rounds, and I wasn't getting on there. And I had to face the thing that I didn't want to face. I do not know how to use the subway. And so I, what do you do in this situation? I said, okay, let's back up. Let's think about this. Hong Kong is one of the densest places in the world in terms of population. Causeway Bay is one of the densest places in Hong Kong. Rush hour is one of the densest times that you're going to find in the subway. So this is not like you can just wander out there, like wander onto the, the, the field and during the World Cup and wonder, why, why are things not going well for me? This is an extreme sport. It is a competitive, serious level competitive sport. And you've got to train. You've got to figure out what you're going to do. So, what do you do in that situation? You need consultants. So I had, a, a, you know, my friends took pity on me. I said, I don't understand what the problem is. And said, well, what do you, I just can't get on the, the, the train. And then the, one guy would say, well, uh, you know, you do have to be a little bit vocal. I mean, 
I said, I did. I said, I said, I'm going. I, said, I can't, I can't even hear you. Are you saying that they're not, you have to send like a sonic wedge out into the crowd. You have to say, Mgoy, Mgoy, and then, then, you, then you go. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll. and then the other guy, the other guy said, well, you know, you do, you, sometimes you got to get a little physical. You got to get in there. We have elbows for a reason. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to invite you in. You know, you got to assert so, okay, okay. And then there was just, some stuff was just esoteric. You know, a guy said, like, well, you know, sometimes you do have to just matrix it. Like, <laughs> like what is, what is, what does matrix it mean? He goes, you know, you've seen people do it. They just, <laughs> so sometimes you got to do it. You just got to do it. I said, okay, okay. I get, I'm, I'm not hopeless. I'm not hopeless. I just got to put this stuff together, and 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 run run it a few times, and and it'll 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 be fine. So I went out there, but that that morning I had a kind of a, a breakthrough, or or a breakdown, breakthrough, breakdown. Sometimes it just they're all the same. And I was I was waiting in position. I was getting ready with the mgoy, and then the train pulls in, the doors open up, the wall of faces. Ten people get on, and I'm ready to go. But there's a guy standing there. He's got a newspaper open, arms fully stretched back to the door like this. <laughs> and that is an advanced level move. That is not, that was not in the manual. I, you know, you cannot find anything on YouTube on how to counter it. And, and so I just started trying to get out there and I'm going, I'm going and move. And then I could find, hear, feel the beep beeps coming, and I, I just panicked, and so it all unraveled, and, and I lost it. I just said, I, Mr. Newspaper Guy, can you put your, can you let other people use the MTR, please, and, and, and just, and then sleeping, standing up lady, can you, sorry to wake you, can you just move a little bit, and then they can come through, and then I can get, oh, and then, boop, 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 shh, it closed, and so they're all staring at me. It was quite awkward. So I just said, see, I knew we could do it. I knew we could do it. You could do it. You could do it. We did it together. We did it together. And it was early Obama era. So somehow that just slid into, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And, and uh, they, 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 now suddenly I had a lot of room. And people were <laughs> pressed up back against the against the walls of the, uh, of the car, and they were, like, not making eye contact and drawing their children closer. And so it, but it, it worked, but it came at a very large cost, and the energy expended was just not worth it. I couldn't do this on a daily level. So I was, I was not able to get to the, the space that I wanted, and at the same time, space that I had, I was not able to keep in other situations. It was... Um, a few weeks after that, uh, it was Lunar New Year, which is, as you know, a very big time in Hong Kong. And I wanted to go to uh, Taihang. That's the area kind of behind the central library. And um, I want to take my family there because it is, uh, there's an old village tradition there called the Fire Dragon. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's, they wind through these very narrow streets and they have uh, this dragon that's 70 meters long, and it's got 70,000 uh, incense sticking out of it like porcupine quills. So when people are carrying it and winding through these narrow streets, it's 
billowing with smoke and almost literally on fire. And, I, and even though at this point I really feared uh, almost as a, as a um, phobia going out in crowds in Hong Kong, I thought, well, the children, they'll love it, and we really should. We really should go. The only problem was that there were thousands of other people who had a similar commitment to support local culture, and they were all crammed in to that very small district that night. And there were police barricades along the street because they needed to make room for the, uh, the dragon. And that left a very small strip of pavement that everyone was being channeled along. So it was almost like a current. It was like a, it was like a tide, and I was afraid that the kids are still small. I was afraid that they were just going to be lifted off their feet and drift off, and, and, I, and we'd be separated. So I thought, how are we going to... How are we going to manage this? And then I saw down the, down the way there was a light, a light post or maybe a signpost. And there was a small amount of space between the barricade and the, and the signpost. And I thought, that's our spot. We can... So as we drifted by, I, I, I grabbed onto the post and ushered the kids into that little spot. My wife stood on the side. And I kind of closed myself like a gate in front of there. And I left plenty of room over there so that there's no, no blockage. And I maintain a very tight configuration against this post because I didn't want to seem, you know, space entitled or anything. So I just, <laughs> my elbow was tight against my side and I was tight against this post and I thought, this is fair, I'll just be like this and I probably will be jostled around but as long as nothing disturbs this side, it's fine. And then I got, at, at a certain point, I got what I can only call a, like a, a jabbing sensation. It was like a directional nudge in my in my side, and I thought, all right, well, maybe it's a guy with a sports bag, and he has a, some tennis rackets in it, and he just turned into me, or maybe there was a sale on durian earlier in the <laughs> afternoon, but I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to ignore it. It's fine, and again, this side is okay, but it was not to be ignored. It came back again with more direction, more insistence, more force, and I thought, it's like, this is someone's head. Someone is trying to burrow into this non-existent <laughs> space. I thought, you got to be choking. You know, I'm pressed against my kid. My kid is pressed against the barricade, and then there's 70,000 incense on the other side swirling in all directions. Where do you want to go? There's nowhere to go. I thought, oh, well, maybe this, oh, it's a kid. It's just a very overexcited, you know, uh, um, uh, insistent little kid who wants to get through. And I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll just let I let him through. And then I thought it through, and I thought, you know what, if I let him through, he's going to bring seven friends. My kids don't know how to hold space. They're going to be dragged into the undertow, and I'm not going to see them for the rest of the evening. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold my position here. And I had to even work through the logic. I had to say that this is, you know, I have a right to stand here. I have a right to occupy space. I have the occupied, right to occupy the space that I occupy. That sounds right. That sounds right. I'm, I'm not... I'm not giving up this spot. And kid or no kid, you're either going to have to go around or you're just going to have to go through me, all right? And then, uh, quite amazingly, that's what started to happen. He was borrowing with such intensity. There was such an expression of cranial will to, to, to get to the other side that it was extraordinary, and he was actually making progress. <laughs> and I thought, this is, can't be happening. And... and there was like millimeter by millimeter, rib by rib, he was getting through. And I, I, the only term I could use, he was starting to crown. And I, <laughs> I, I was telling myself, do not look down. Just do not look down. Pretend nothing's happening. And I just thought, I am, 
I am, you, you are not getting, it made me more determined. You are not getting through, little kid. You are not getting through. But the intensity seemed to say, oh, yes, I'm getting through. I am getting through. And I, I, I had to look down because some hairs were starting to spring out. And I was expecting to see, you know, little, little kid, fine, little moppy little kid hair. But it was, it was wiry and, and white. And, and, I thought, and, and then it, when, when it popped out, it formed like little puffy tufts. And I thought, that's a perm. There's a perm coming out of my armpit. And, 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 <laughs> and uh, it was not just any perm. It was old lady perm. And so I, I was having a full-on out-of-body experience. And what I can only assume was her face was starting to, to you know, push through to the other side. And have you ever seen on, on Discovery Channel or Science Channel that uh, like when a, an octopus kind of compresses its body and changes color and, 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 and fits itself into a bottle? You know, well, that's what was happening here. And I was getting the, the inside bottle view of, of her coming through. And, and uh, finally, <laughs> as she was coming through, I could see this the skin, and you could see the spots and the crevices and the lines, and it was lo looking at like time and history etched on her face, and it was like looking at a twisted, gnarled tree root or, or the, the shell of a tortoise that had been battered by the sea, and, and you just knew that she had been through so much. She had been through famine and wars and drought and, and, and political turmoil, and, and she had gone through it all, nothing could stop her and certainly I was not going to stop her at this point and then with a final burst she just popped through to the other side and now the the what was sort of fascination had just become terror and a, and you have to keep in mind that the kids were still standing there looking at the they're saying dad this is really cool I say it's cool it's cool and 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 then there was this, she, she kind of craned her head to one side and then craned her head to the other side. And then there was this profoundly disturbing moment when we locked gaze. And there was a recognition that we were sharing the same space and we had become one. And it was, and it was like this freakish science fiction horror movie where I had become half man, half old Hong Kong lady. And for all intents and purposes, it must have looked like I had an old lady in a full-on headlock in the middle of the street. But there were no police coming, no passers-by were intervening, I think because she was so clearly dominating this situation. She was dominating that space. And then, then she, I guess she just decided, well, there's nothing much to see here, really. And she started to reverse ooze back in and I suppose at that time I could have just released her and let go but I thought well well we've gone this far and it's like why, why change anything now besides she's so old if I made any sudden movements she might get scared and then who knows what would happen so she she kind of popped herself back to the other side and I was too afraid to look she disappeared into the crowd and I would have just thought that this was some you know, nightmarish waking dream, except I saw these hairs on my sweatshirt. And I'm not here to brag about this 
situation. I'm not proud that I made any of these choices, but uh, I am grateful to that old lady because I think something definitely shifted. Some kind of psychological dam opened that day, that evening, and um, now I, I think I learned something about finding space, holding space, sharing space, and now uh, things are pretty much the same. I still commute, still use the MTR, but now when I hear the I'm on the inside. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. If you want to know more about learning to tell great stories, visit us on hongkongstories.com. To listen to our weekly podcast, find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Everyone has a story to tell.